Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, I always love coming up here, up on the hill. Um, I'm privileged to share what the Lord has put on my heart this morning, and I hope it will be a blessing to you. I don't know if you've read the title that is printed in the bulletin. I don't know if what, what you're expecting. But this is really something that the Lord gave to me while I was taking a walk one day. <laughs> and I have fleshed it out a little bit more to put some scripture to it. But what the Lord brought to mind was one Sunday after I was speaking at one of the Nespers churches, one of the honored, revered elders who came faithfully to church, but I don't think he considered himself a Christian. He considered himself a traditional Native American man. But he flagged me down outside the church and he excitedly showed me this scripture that I'm going to read to you. It's from Job 12, verses 7 through 12. And I'm reading it from the message version. I hope you don't mind. It emphasizes something that is very important in native culture, learning from animals. And I know that I'm among many people who have farming or ranching background, so I know I have to tread very carefully your knowledge of animals and nature far exceeds mine. I'm sure you have more forgotten than I've ever known about that. But this is something that the Lord put on my heart, and so I just want to share it with you. Here's what Job 12, verses 7 through 12 reads. But ask the animals when they think what they think. Let them teach you. Let the birds tell you what's going on. Put your ear to the earth. Learn the basics. Listen The fish in the ocean will tell you their stories. Isn't it clear that they all know and agree that God is sovereign, that he holds all things in his hand? Every living soul, yes, every breathing creature. Isn't this all just common sense, as common as the sense of taste? Do you think the elderly have a corner on wisdom, that you have to grow grow old before you understand life? You know, I don't remember what I spoke about that day at the church, but I remember him telling me about this. And now looking back, he is gone. He has passed on. I wish I had taken more time to have him teach me, to have him tell me from his perspective what this scripture was saying to him, how he thought about it, how he felt about these verses from the word of God. Being with the native people around here, and even the ones that we know who are from other places, we know that creation itself is of much and great importance to them. They have some kind of a connection to the land that is hard for me, uh, maybe hard for us to to uh, connect with, to understand, to understand the depth of connection that they have with it. But it's something that I've learned to appreciate being with them and around them knowing that this is how they feel. And I don't pretend to understand or be able to comprehend everything that they think about that, but it sure has made me appreciate some more of God's creation. And lo and behold, if you look in the scriptures, it is full of this theme of talking about what God has created, how he has made things. Uh, And thank you for Kevin. I don't know who selected the songs. They just fit very well with all of this. This is my father's world. Yes, he has made everything that is around us. And I thought about, you know, sometimes when somebody gets burned out, pastors included, they may have to go and do some things. And what are they often advised to do? Go outside, take a walk, 
sit under a tree, look out at the ocean, climb a mountain and look down? What is it about nature that somehow has the ability to refresh us, to renew us, especially as we recognize it's not there by a matter of chance. It is there because a good creator has made it. So I've been thinking about that. I've also been thinking about that we, oftentimes as preachers who have gone through training, we are told to focus maybe by, not in so many words, but by, by our focus of our very training and teaching that we receive, to talk about what God has done for us, for us people. And it's not to minimize that. The Bible focuses very much on, on us being made in the image of God. And without maybe a questionable situation that the angels made, may have some possible uh, likeness or being made in the image of God different from us. There's no other part in creation that has this attribute of having been made in the image of God. And so from that we take oftentimes an emphasis, this is what we have to concentrate on, this is what we have to look at. And we tend to forget that we are part of a creation. We are not outside of it, we're part of it. We sometimes think of ourselves as, yeah, we're over here, or maybe we even take some scriptures in the Bible to mean that we are placed over it in a way that is ruling it over the creation. But if we look at it, it really means stewardship, something that a farmer would do to his land. He cares for it. He prepares it so that it will bring the fruit that is, um, that is promised when we see what God has put in place. So, when I read this passage, I thought about other passages that speak about creation and what the animals may have to teach us. This passage is only one of many, many. There's another passage that came to mind from Job 35.11. It says, But God uses creation as a science classroom and speaking um, as, a, as a science classroom and teaches us wisdom by the birds. Let me read that again. God uses creation as a science classroom and teaches us wisdom by the birds. From the very first pages of the Bible, we see that God even uses examples of animals to show what he is like. It talks about the eagle. He says, I was like an eagle hovering over its nest, overshadowing its young, then spreading its wings, lifting them into the air, teaching them to fly. Or in Exodus 19, verse 4, where it says, He bore them on eagles' wings and brought them to himself. God is using the mighty eagle so to show that he cares for the Hebrew people and for us. If we understand this picture, it talks a little bit more about how even the behavior of the eagle speaks to how God trains us and how he teaches us. You know, it talks about the eagle stirring up its nest, making it uncomfortable for the eaglets who are in there so that they will finally get out of the nest and learn how to fly and to hunt and to feed for themselves. And because it's so cozy, nice and warm, they are inclined to stay there. And so the mother or father eagle prepares the nest in such a way that it becomes uncomfortable and maybe even kind of gives them a little bit of a push to go out the nest 
And we think that's cruel. God, how do you do that? Pushing them out. But then it says he swoops down and he carries them off on his wings. A beautiful picture of how God is toward us, how he loves us, how he trains us, how he teaches us, who is always there for us. Or Proverbs, I'm sure those scriptures are all familiar to you, where God sends us to a little tiny creature, the end. And he says, a small insect is made an example of both wisdom and industriousness. It says, you lazy fool, look at an ant. Watch it closely. Let it teach you a thing or two. Nobody has to tell it what to do. All summer it stores up food. At harvest it stockpiles provisions. So how long are you going to laze around doing nothing? It's pretty poignant, I think. We don't need a lot of interpretation to understand what he's saying there, right? Or in Proverbs 30, verse 24 through 25, it says, There are four small small creatures. Wisest of the wise, they are the ants. Frail as they are, but they get plenty of food in the winter. Marmots, vulnerable as they are, manage to arrange for rock-solid homes. Locusts, leaderless insects, yet they strip the field like an army regiment. Lizards, easy enough to catch but they sneak past vigilant palace guards. In Isaiah 40, 30 through 31, a very well-known scripture, it says that he energizes those who get tired. Who gives, he gives fresh strength to the dropouts. For even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall, but those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and they don't get tired. They walk and they don't lag behind. That's just a small sample of some of the animals that the Bible highlights in order for us to learn something from them, to teach us, to help us understand even Creator God's character and love for us. Now we know that the animals were created on creation day five, Uh, In chapter 1 of Genesis, we read about that. He made the animals that are referred to as soulish animals. The word in Hebrew there is nephesh. And uh, what that means is they they are living beings. They are soulish animals. They are created with a mind, with will and emotions, and the capacity to emotionally bond with one another and with human beings. Nephesh animals also form bonded family units, which is seen in the fact that parents engage in sacrificial behavior to care for their offspring. Oftentimes you will see a bird trying to divert you from the nest so that you wouldn't touch the little ones. Flying around you making all kinds of ruckus. One time I took a, a run by the airport down there and there was an osprey's nest up on one of the telegraph poles. And I was probably 150, 200 yards away from it. And all of a sudden, here this osprey comes and swoops down on me. I was scared. I kind of went, get away from me. But that, such is the protective nature of what God has put in uh, the animals to care for their little ones, for their young ones. So science tells us that all birds and mammals are part of the nephesh creatures, the soulish natures. And curiously enough, that includes crocodiles and alligators. Some of them are easily trained to serve and please people, 
but I don't think I want to try to train crocodiles and alligators. I don't think it would go so well. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to share this morning a little bit about one particular animal that came into my life <laughs> a little over nine or so months ago. We have a good friend, really she is like a daughter to us, who one day surprised us and came with a little puppy in her shirt to our house. And she said, I did something. <laughs> and she showed us this little adorable husky puppy named Sakari. That's an Inuit name and it means sweet. And I can tell you that little puppy made its name all honor. As soon as I, ta- as I saw this little adorable puppy, I was a goner. I, 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 we never had really animals in our house. My brother had a little dachshund when I was growing up, but I was only around that maybe for four years or so. And it's not that we don't like pets, but we are sometimes on the go and it's hard to you know, always make alternate arrangements for it, and so we haven't endeavored to do that. But with this one there, even with all the inconveniences, you know, little puppies have accidents at times and our carpet got a little bit devalued, but you tend to overlook all that more easily when the sweetness of some little creature has gotten your heart. Anyway, so if anyone wants to show you, I have a brag book of pictures. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She is, she is really a beautiful creature, and I've taken walks with her, and inevitably, any time I walk around with people, that's a beautiful dog. <laughs> I said, yeah, thank you. <laughs> she is very smart. She's beautiful. She's energetic and very inquisitive. Here are a few things that the Lord reminded me of one day while I was walking with her. He reminded me about some of the traits that she showed and exhibited to me And they became an allegory for me to know what it means to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus in many ways can be spoken or said. I think one of the literal meanings is that somebody who is walking in the dust of the rabbi, we're following so closely the one who teaches us that we are affected and dirtied by the dust that is whipped up by his steps. We're not trotting behind somewhere where we can't hear him, but where we're close. So one of the first traits that became a a message to me was that she is intensely curious. I thought it's almost to the point of ADD, you know, attention deficit disorder. She smells, hears, and sees ever new things, people and animals, and wants to investigate. And if you're not paying attention and you have her on the leash, She can yank your arm clear out of your socket. She is so strong. And then I thought, if I were only as curious about the one who created me and saved me as this dog is for all the things that she sees around her, do I have a curiosity about life, about creator, about Jesus, what he has done for me like she does for life? God loves me and all his creation, but one thing about him is that he pressures or manipulates no one to love him. He just presents himself to us, and then we are to be going after him. Like a lover, he wants us to be, he wants to be pursued because we want to, not because we have to 
or we are pressured or manipulated. He wants to be sought out. He, and if we do, he is quick to come our way. We too need to seek, knock. And if we do, we will find. And we will find that our door will, the door will be opened and what we are looking for will be found. Anyone who seeks will find. If only we will knock. In Hebrews 11.6 it says, Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who casually look after him. Is that what it says? Yeah. What, what are the words? Diligently seek him. You know, God is gracious. Sometimes he reveals himself to us in ways that are so sudden and so immediate that we feel like we don't deserve it. And that oftentimes happens to new believers. When they come to the Lord and their life is changed in an instant, they are so full and they, they can see what has happened. And for us who have walked with the Lord for a little while, it becomes like, uh, yeah, okay. Uh. And we're not that torn or that affected by knowing Him and seeing Him. And in a way that is good because you know, we cannot sustain that level of insight that we may have or the level of interest that we may have at that beginning. But the Lord wants to invite us and sometimes it may even feel to us that he withdraws himself a little from us. It's not that he is not there anymore or that he doesn't want to be found. He just wants us to make an effort to seek him passionately, diligently. And he wants to reveal himself. Another thing that I saw in Sakari was that she wants to be with me. Once she has seen a response from me, more than food or anything, getting up early in the morning, she wants to be with me. And it does something to your heart when you see that, when you haven't seen her for a while and she comes running to you, wagging her tail faster than she can do. Almost seems like the behind is wagging the tail, not the other way around. And she drops down before you, wanting to receive her favorite belly rubs. I notice that she likes me to be around, even when she is doing other things. Sometimes I've sat outside in the yard, put her on a long leash, and then she goes exploring. She finds this thing and the other thing. She chases a deer or birds. She tries to catch a bumblebee or befriends horses on a walk excited and yet fearful. Can you imagine how Jesus feels when we exhibit this kind of desire to be near him? More than food, more than anything else. In Acts 4.11 it says about the disciples that they were known for having been with Jesus. They were not known for how much they knew. They were not known for how much they had accomplished, how gifted they were, how famous or infamous they were. They were known for having been with Jesus. Is that what you and I am known for? For having been with Jesus? Obviously, the three years that the disciples spent with Jesus was transforming. And many of the things they had to learn took them a long time, even right before 
Jesus went to heaven, they still hadn't understand what the kingdom of God was about, really. But they had seen something by being with him. And they began now, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, to understand what it was about. And they lived their life in a continuation of how Jesus lived his life while he walked the face of the earth. And that's really our job as disciples, as followers of Jesus. We are with him, and then we do what he tells us to do. Simple. Yet we make it so difficult at times. But the reverse is also true. If we haven't been with him, then there is an emptiness, and then there is a lack, and then we don't know what to say, then we don't know how to live. When he says that we are to learn to love our enemies, who can do that without some special help? I certainly can. That's only possible if we are with him and if our life is an ongoing transformation, transformative process that makes us more and more like Jesus. And we have to yield ourselves to him, maybe even engage in some spiritual disciplines and to have him do the impossible in us that we cannot do by ourselves. But it begins with wanting to be with him. Another thing that I saw in her was that she seeks shelter when she feels threatened. When she senses a threat, something that she hasn't encountered before, she would run in between my legs, especially as she was small, and and she would jump up at me, wanting to lift her up into my arms. And that's a beautiful example of humility. She doesn't pretend to be a tough dog. She simply seeks the protection of someone who is capable of protecting her. How often do I think I need to or I can solve everything that comes my way? There is this problem and we go into the mode of solving this problem, looking at the problem for all angles and try to figure it out instead of going first to Jesus to let him give us wisdom. If we would do that more, I think things would be lighter. We would begin to experience what he says in Matthew 11, that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. We will have burdens, but if we have him live in us and we give him the choice to work through us, then we will see that he is one who bears that burden with us. We are not pulling the plow by ourselves. He is there, and he is probably even taking the main load of it. I heard this story on the radio once by one of the preachers that you hear on KMBI. Maybe you've heard it one time or so, too. Uh, This uh, pastor, Tony Evans, told a story about his granddaughter. She came running to him one time, and she apparently was afraid of a dog that was around her or had run after her, maybe just to play, but she was afraid of it. And so what did she do? She jumped up into his arms. And when she was in his arms, safely protected by the strong arms of her grandpa, she went to the dog, na-na-na-na-boo-boo. <laughs> what a picture. We should run to the arms of Jesus. We don't have to taunt the enemy. No, we don't have to go that far. But we can rest secure in knowing that he cares for us, that he is there for us. Following Jesus then and now 
occasionally may lead us to be threatened or attacked or misunderstood, our motives to be questioned, even though we feel we have done it with a sincerity in our heart. Where do I go then? I want to learn from Sakari and from Tony Evans's granddaughter to run to the stronghold of safety, the arms of Jesus, when I experience unsafe situations or attacks. Here's a few scriptures that encourage us to do that. Psalms 27, 1 through 3 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. 31.20 says, You hide me in the shelter of your presence, safe from those who conspire against them. You shelter them in your presence, far from accusing tongues. And then there is Psalm 91, very well-known scripture, that for those of us who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And it goes on to describe some very practical situations we may experience in our life knowing that the Lord is with us, that he is there to protect us, to care for us, that he will watch over us. Isaiah 41.10 says, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Wonderful promises that God gives us when we seek shelter in him. Another thing that I saw, and I think that is my last point, is that she gets a lot of encouragement. Whether it is for sitting or shaking her paw or rolling over while walking together, or, or rolling over or while walking together, I have noticed how often I will tell her, "Good girl." She seems to like that kind of encouragement, especially while walking. She often does something like this, and then she goes on. <laughs> just, just a glance. Are you still there? You still care for me? Do you still like me? It is so as if to make sure that I am still there. <clears throat> Psalm 32 verse 8 says, I will show you, that's the Lord speaking, I will show you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will tell you what to do with my eye upon you. But how can we receive that guidance? If God has his eye on you, where has our eye to be? If he looks at us this way, we can't look this way and still think we can get direction from him. It has to be eye to eye. We have to look at him too. And if we do, he is promising us that he will care for us, that he will encourage us, that he will reassure us, that he will show us the way in which we should go. He promises to teach us. The question is, am I, are we paying attention? I noticed also how easy it was for me to encourage her and how often I do it. And I thought, how about encouraging others? How often do I speak to someone I meet and I find something that is worthy of encouragement? Or somebody I know and we meet and I have something encouraging on my lips about that person. 
We know that our kids crave for grave encouragement. I've discovered in discipleship one of the greatest, most wonderful things that we can do for others is that we encourage them. It is more important than correcting them all the time. The Bible says it's sometimes good to overlook some things if we can. But to give encouragement is important. Maybe it's something that I've experienced in my life myself. Uh, I don't speak bad about my parents at all and I know now, which I didn't know when I was younger, that my dad couldn't give what he never had received. I did receive very little. Matter of fact, I would be hard-pressed to find anything where I received encouraging words from my father. And maybe that has made me sensitive to the fact that we need encouragement. We all need it. We can't go on without it. And that's what God is doing for us and what we are to do for each other. We all need that. We may think of Apostle Paul as this giant in the faith. But remember how he got started? You know, he was an enemy of the people of God. He went around killing them. And then he had this experience where the Lord knocked him off his high horse, struck him blind, and he was taken up to some room somewhere. And when God spoke to Ananias to go and pray for him, Ananias said, Lord, are you... That I rebuke you enemy that's not you speaking to me no but he was definitely taken aback by that command because he knew who Paul was but eventually he went we know the story Ananias prayed for him his blindness fell away from him and God spoke to Paul the one who he had fought against he spoke to Paul and he said I will make you my servant And we know the story as it continued on. But that wasn't the end of the battle for Paul. See, that reputation of being a killer of Christians had preceded Paul for a long, long time. And it was still there even after he had committed his life to the Lord and was on a different path. But people weren't trusting yet. But there was one person. His name was Barnabas. And what his name means is son of encouragement. It was Barnabas who took Paul and said, to the other apostles, to the other disciples. And he said, so this is Paul. And he introduced them. He vouched for him. He encouraged Paul. He encouraged the other people to be open to him, to see that there really was a traumatic life change in Paul. But Paul, the giant, who has written probably about two-thirds of our New Testament, is the author of it, with God. <laughs> he needed an encourager. We need encouragement. Paul himself says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, and maybe he was thinking about what Barnabas did for him when he wrote those words. He says, so encourage each other and build each other up. Another translation says, or make each other strong. I thought that's a poignant interpretation of what encouragement does. When somebody tells us, good job, you did that very well, that can lead to pride, that would be the wrong thing of it, but it it can also shore up the insecurity that we have carried around with our own life and we can say, that other person recognized it and I did it and so I can receive that with thanks. I'm encouraged, I'm strengthened by the words that are spoken over me. 
and that we can speak over others. And so Paul encourages us to encourage each other, to build each other up, just as they were already doing, the Thessalonians. So, Sakari, that beautiful little dog, was teaching me to stay intensely curious, focused on the Lord, seeking Him with diligence. Spending time with the Lord, looking to Him through His Word and in prayer. She encouraged me to help, to to run for shelter when I need help. She encouraged me to find the stronghold that Jesus is for us. And she encouraged me to give encouragement as I've received encouragement. Or even if I haven't received it from human beings, the Lord is encouraging us and we can pass on that encouragement to others. I'm sure you have your own stories of animals that have taught you things about God. I'd love to hear them. If we have some time afterward, tell me your story that you have experienced. I know that you know you are around cattle and horses and uh, barn animals and whatnot. I'm sure you have a lot more stories than I could ever tell. But I want to share and say that what I learned both through what that elder shared with me and by having walked with native people, that their emphasis of appreciating creation seeing myself as part of it, not the same, but as part of it. We are made in the image of God. Animals are not talked about in this way. But that doesn't mean that they don't have to teach us things, right? Because the scripture is very clear that they can and they will if we pay attention. If we pay attention, God will use any means. One of our hymns that we sang is everything. The Lord can use everything to speak to us. Whatever means he has. He will communicate with us. He will guide us. He will warn us. He will encourage us and let us know that we are safe in him. I'll give you a little homework. Um, Maybe you want to read in chapter 22 of Numbers a story about another animal. And uh, I won't use the word that it is used, I think, in the KJV, but it involves a donkey. (laughs) And in that case, it wasn't even something that was vague, that donkey literally spoke to confront the one who was supposedly serving the Lord. So God can use donkeys, he can use other animals, whatever kind they may be, and he can use cute little huskies to teach us about him. Amen.